Krishna-karana-sindhu-dina-vando-jagat-pate-gopesha-gopika-kanta-radha-kanta-namostute. Tata-kanchana-gorangi-radhe-vrindavaneshwari Rishavanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasari Gauravaktavinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Could you also get Canto 4 Volume 1? I think it's here, yeah. So, here we are in the presence of Shishi Radhamadan Mohan. It's very nice. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I think we don't need this. Yeah. And um, we have a translation system. Is it working? Funktioniert das? Schon? Okay. Entschuldigung, dass ich nicht Deutsch spreche. Ich kann ja so ein bisschen, aber ich bin ganz außer Übung. Wirklich, ich bin selten in Deutschland. Und wenn, wenn ich in Deutsch eine Vorlesung gebe, dann haben wir ein anderes Problem. Dann haben wir, haben wir anderen, die Deutsch nicht verstehen. So what to do? Ich weiß, wir sind in Deutschland. Wir sollten eigentlich Deutsch sprechen. Aber wir sind auch in der Internation, we're in the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, which is somehow or other, it's become the international language, English. Uh, and so here we are. Yeah, there's a history behind English becoming um, the international language, which I will not get into, <laughs> has to do with the British Empire being so aggressive. Okay, let us hear what Krishna has to say. And I've chosen a verse, um, which I like very much, from chapter 12. Uh, this chapter is traditionally called 
bhakti yoga and um, in this portion the last few verses of this uh, chapter Krishna is giving a list essentially of mainly qualities um, of of devotees and he is saying it's a bit of a litany which means a repeated uh, statement that such persons who have these qualities are dear to him uh, the whole idea of bhakti being how to become dear to the Lord and how to uh, uh, experience the Lord as dear to ourselves. That's bhakti yoga. Yoga meaning making a connection, being yoked, uh, yoked, gekuppelt or something. <laughs> the English word in this case is a cognate of the Sanskrit yoga and yoke. So we want to be yoked to Yogeshvara, the original, uh, the Lord of Yoga. And the Gita, of course, especially is telling us how this is possible. And in particular, chapter 12, Bhakti Yoga. Uh, did I... Did we chant Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya? My brain's only half here. We didn't. Okay. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. All right. We have a verse. This is, of course, the Rome. Roman transliteration of what is typically but not necessarily written in a script called Nagari or Devanagari. It's actually written in many different scripts in India. Advesta Sarvabhutanam Advesta Sarvabhutanam Maitra Karuna Evacha Maitra Karuna Evacha Nirmamo Nirahankara Nirmamo Nirahankara Samaduk Samadukha Sukakshami Okay, there's a few words here that you probably, some of you already know, yeah, the meaning. How about Advaita? Hmm? Yes, very good. Non-envious. Uh, and then sarvabhutanam. 
Alle Lebewesen, exactly. <laughs> All living entities. Uh, the word Buddha uh, means uh, existent, literally. Uh, from Bu, which means to exist or to become. Okay, and Maitra. Any ideas? Friend, yes, very good. Uh, it's from Mitra. Fr Mitra means friend, and Maitra means friendliness. So, yeah. And Karana, we all know this. <laughs> Compassionate, okay. <laughs> it's what we all need, what we all want, yes. Eva, often translated indeed, but it can also mean... Um, only, or specifically, and cha, of course, means and, near mama. What does that mean? What does mama mean? Mine. So near mama, not mine, yeah, not mine. So this, the, the scent, it becomes a noun here, one, one who has this attitude of, uh, of non-possessiveness. And same thing, nirahankara, nirahankara, without, yes, go ahead, without false ego, very good. Um, yes, aham, ahamkara, aham means I, and kara means doer. I am the doer, that's the sense of ahamkara. It's me, it's all me. I'm I'm the doer. So aham and mama are often put together. Aham mama iti. Aham mama iti. Iti are like quotation marks. Um, we tend to um, we tend to go through life in this sort of um, frame of of mind there's me and there's what belongs to me and everything else i'm not interested in <laughs> there's there's me and there's what belongs to me that that is our general or orientation so nirahankara not having this sense and then sama dukkha sukha Say again. Ah, yeah. Yes, sama means same. And again, we have um, what's called a cognate, which means like a family member uh, of, uh, in the English word, same. So, sameness in happiness and distress comes to mean like that. And then kshami, uh, the word kshama means uh, something like tolerance. Let's see what Prabhupada translates here. Forgiving, okay. Yeah, forgiving. Uh, Vergebenheit. Vergebenheit. Uh, 
If anyone wants uh, a chair, we have more chairs, I think. Yes, or we can get more chairs. Yeah? <laughs> okay, so that's our translation or word for word of the first uh, of what we've chanted. And uh, Srila Prabhupada has translated this together with the next verse. So I'm just going to read that translation. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Translation, one who is not envious, but is a kind friend to all living entities, who does not think himself a proprietor, an owner, and is free from false ego, who is equal in both happiness and distress, who is tolerant, always satisfied, self-controlled, and engaged in devotional service with determination, his mind and intelligence fixed on me, Krishna is speaking, such a devotee of mine is very dear to me. Yes. Okay, let's see what Prabhupada says about this. Uh, coming again to the point of pure devotional service, the Lord is describing the transcendental qualifications of a pure devotee in these two verses. Now, at this point, we might say, well, okay, that's the pure devotees. What about me? <laughs> well, the idea is if we know what is what is pure devotion, then there's a better chance we can aim for it. So you're aiming for some goal. If you know where the goal is, then you can go. So the Bhagavad Gita, in many respects, uh, works as, as a sort of map. And we can map, we can locate ourselves on the map, and then we can say, okay, I'm here, Krishna's there, how do I get to Krishna from where I am? A pure devotee is never disturbed in any circumstances. Hmm. Okay, I guess I'm not there yet. <laughs> Oof. Nor is he envious of anyone. Hmm. Ay, ay. Okay. Nor does a devotee become his enemy's enemy. He thinks this person is acting as my enemy due to my own past misdeeds. So it is better to suffer than to protest. In the Bhagavatam, it is stated, famous verse, Tate nukampan susamikshamano bunjana evatma kritang vipakam that's as far as Prabhupada uh, quotes. Whenever a devotee is in distress or has fallen into difficulty, he thinks that it is the Lord's mercy upon him. He thinks, quote, 
thanks to my past misdeeds, I should suffer far, far greater than I'm suffering now. So it is by the mercy of the Supreme Lord that I'm now, that I'm not getting, that I'm not getting all the punishment I am due. I'm just getting a little by the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So have you ever thought like this when something unpleasant happens? Have you ever thought, actually, I should get worse than I got? Anyone? Gottfried. It says to you, Manchmal. I was shown Manchmal. Yeah, okay, sometimes. That's good. <laughs> Okay, now, here's interesting. Let's hear what Prophet says. Therefore, he, someone who thinks like this, is always calm, quiet, and patient, despite many distressful conditions. A devotee is also always kind to everyone, even to his enemy. Nirmama means that a devotee does not attach much importance to the pains and trouble pertaining to the body because he knows perfectly well that he's not the material body. I like the way Srila Prabhupada expresses this. <laughs> he does not attach much importance. <laughs> it's like, you know, you stub your toe, you trip and you hit your toe and it's so painful. Uh, when we're very small children, uh, it's like the end of the world, right? We cry. Mainly we cry because we want lots of attention from our parents. But also because why do we want attendance? We want reassurance because... We've just been put in a very disturbing condition. Suddenly the toe hurts like anything. Later in life, we stub our toe and we go, we might curse, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, you know, we don't give it so much importance because we know, okay, in a few minutes it's going to be all right again. Uh, we don't, as Prabhupada would say, attach so much importance to it. He does not identify with the body. Therefore, he is freed from the conception of false ego and is equiposed in happiness and distress. Uh, he is tolerant and he's, he is satisfied with whatever comes by the grace of the Supreme Lord. He does not endeavor much to achieve something with great difficulty. Therefore, he is always joyful. Uh, because the word santushta is in the second verse, which means completely satisfied. Uh, he is a completely perfect mystic because he is fixed in the instructions received from the spiritual master. And because his senses are controlled, he is determined. Entschlossenheit. 
Why is why is a devotee determined? What did Prabhupada just say? Yes, thank you. Also, but Prabhupada just said because he or she controls the senses. He is not swayed, he's not diverted by false arguments because no one can lead him from the fixed determination of devotional service. He is fully conscious that Krishna is the eternal Lord, so no one can disturb him. All these qualifications enable him to fix his mind and intelligence entirely on the Supreme Lord. Such a standard of devotional service is undoubtedly very rare, but a devotee becomes situated in that stage by following the regulative principles of devotional service. Oh, no, not again. Devo regulative principles, Prabhupada talks so much about them. Sorry, but that's how it is. You want to be successful, some regulation is good. <laughs> Furthermore, and this is uh, last sentence. Furthermore, the Lord says that such a devotee is very dear to him. For the Lord is always pleased with all the devotee's activities in full Krishna consciousness. And so ends Prabhupada's purport to this two verses. Mukam karati chalam pangum langayate girim yakripa tadaham vande shri gurum dinataranam One reason I chose this verse is it has two words in it which uh, we also find In uh, one verse in the Bhagavatam, let's see, do we find both of them? Guna Arika Mudam Anukrosham. No, it's expressed in a slightly different way with a different word. But let me read this verse now. And then I'll, I'll sort of see if we can connect them together. Uh, this comes in Canto 4. This is. Uh, chapter 8, Dhruva Maharaj Leaves Home. And we discussed this uh, during our seminar a little bit, that the story of Dhruva. Dhruva is a very upset uh, young man. He's very young. He's just five or six years old. He's upset uh, with how things are going at home, so much so that he leaves home. Uh, because his mother uh, suggested that you want to solve your problems, go to God. And where do you find God? Well, I hear they people find him in the forest. So he goes to the forest, and there he meets the sage Narada. Narada's famous sage who uh, gives wonderful teachings, many teachings in the Bhagavatam. And uh, his first 
advice to Dhruva is, my dear young boy, you're too young, go back home. You'll be fine. But Dhruva is, is Dhruva, and Dhruva means fixed, and he's very fixed in what he wants to do. So he says, I'm sorry, but your, inst- your advice, it doesn't uh, sit in my heart. So then Narada says, all right, so I see you're determined, and he, mm, he gives him a spiritual teaching, uh, which he then practices very seriously with super determination. And sure enough, um, after a short time, uh, he attains perfection, siddha, and the Lord appears to him directly. Before this, as Narada is is telling him you should go home, he gives him some advice to take with him when he goes home. And this is one verse. Gunadikan mudang lipset anukrosham gunadamat maitring samadat anvitchen natapair abibuyate. Every man, I think we could add every woman also, every man and woman, should act like this. When one meets a person more qualified than oneself, one should be very pleased. When one meets someone less qualified than oneself, one should be compassionate toward that person. And when one meets someone equal to oneself, one should make friendship with that person. In this way, one is never affected by the threefold miseries of this material world. Interesting. What do you think? Does that make any does it does it work? Is that realistic? Be, be happy when you meet someone more qualified. And then uh, when you meet someone less qualified, what's the feeling he recommends? Compassion. And what's the feeling when you meet someone equal? Friendship. And what's the result if one, uh, if one cultivates this practice? Yeah. No suffering. Right. That sounds good, right? How would you like uh, no more suffering? (laughs) That sounds like something worthwhile, right? Maybe, Maybe this is good advice. Dhruva said, I'm sorry, I can't follow this advice. (laughs) Because his mind was kind of somewhere else. but for us, it's very good advice. Okay, now, here, here's the, the point that I want to make. The two words, maitra and karuna, and in this verse, mudam, uh, are three out of four principles which are found uh, in Buddhist tradition. And in Buddhist tradition, the fourth one... <laughs> is upeksha, and this word we find often, it's a Sanskrit word, meaning 
indifference. So, so there are four things, and the four together are are identified in a practice uh, which is called Brahmavihara in Buddhist tradition. Now, there's a debate among scholars how much Buddhism came actually from Vedic tradition, and it's a scholar. Uh, it's a debate which may never end because there are too many factors. Uh, to really sort it out, uh, who got what from whom <laughs> is is something historians like to wrestle about. But we're not worried about that. Uh, what I want to suggest is that in this case, uh, there's actually something uh, useful for Vaishnavas uh, in uh, what has become. A Buddhist practice. It's it's generally identified with the earlier Buddhist tradition, the Theravada tradition, uh, and more specifically with practices called vipassana. You've probably heard it's become quite pop, popular nowadays. Nowadays, everybody is going on, you know, um, retreats to th- Thailand uh, to do some vipassana practice, meditation. Well, one of the vipassana meditations uh, is this brahma-vihara, which means you take each one of these four principles and you step-by-step reflect and envision how you might expand it further and further and further and further out from yourself. Uh, what does that mean? That means, for example, friendliness. Uh, so, okay, first we think of our friends. We have a few friends, according to uh, one statistic I recently heard uh, from the American Psychological Association, for whatever that's worth. Um, for an introvert... Uh, first, they give a definition of a good friend is someone that you spend at least one hour per week speaking with them. <laughs> so the uh, so how many people uh, how many friends does the average person have? They say, well, there's kind of three scales. There's introverted people, there's sort of average people, and there's extroverted people. The introverts will have maybe three friends that they'll spend that much time with per week. And the normal people will have five or six. And those who are um, extroverts, they might have, you know, eight or nine Maybe ten friends. Now we, I know we're all thinking, uh, hmm, right, one hour a week actually? Hmm. <laughs> Am I less than an introvert? Because I spend all my time chanting Hare Krishna and worshiping the deities, and I don't have any time to talk with anybody. <laughs> right? Anyway, that's one of those fun little statistics you can put in the back of your uh, mind. But here the point is that uh, we, we consider ourselves as we have some friends and we 
we share with them. Uh, and, and then there's the rest of the world. Now, we might also consider some persons as inimical to us. Uh, there's some people who uh, just really don't like us for one reason or another, or we don't like them for some reason or other. And we might think, okay, that's in a different category. I just keep uh, out of sight, out of mind, and that's fine. Well, the, this meditation, Ramavihara, is, is let me see if I can extend. So that feeling of friendship, which I, I have, we all have experience. Anybody never experienced friendship? Oh, we all feel we've had, we've had, we have, and we expect we will have, and we look forward to meeting new uh, people and and making new friends. I was I was so happy uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was in America. And uh, I met one gentleman at a conference. When I first, when I first saw him, I thought, "Hmm, strange sort of person." I don't know. I don't know about this. But then I heard him speak, and then I went and spoke with him. And uh, and and uh, I was so much struck. What a nice person he is. And now you'll be surprised because this person, <laughs> some of you may be surprised, this person is a Muslim. What? A Hare Krishna friends with a Muslim? Is that possible? Yes. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Uh, we're all... This person happened to tell a story about how he met Srila Prabhupada in 1968 or 9 and how Prabhupada changed his life. That didn't make him into a non-Muslim. It just changed. He said it changed his life. He accident, very accidentally met Prabhupada. So anyway, um, to to reflect on how might I extend this feeling of uh, of friendliness to others it can be interesting. So that's okay. That's one feeling then. Or, or one attitude. Then we have karuna, compassion. Compassion is oriented, according to Narada Muni, toward those with somehow or other lesser qualities. I say somehow or other. We have to be very careful here uh, in our um, political correctness, uh, which... Uh, would want to say that in an egalitarian society, no one is less than anyone else. No, no one is less than anyone else. No one is more than anyone else in uh, their fundamental identity as eternal servant of the Lord. But, let's face it, we all have different qualities and we all have different degrees of qualification in different areas. I mean, that's life. That's how we are. Somebody is physically stronger than I am. A lot of people are physically stronger than I am. Uh, someone is, uh, etc. You can go through all the sort of obvious uh, qualifications one might have, but then you can think of perhaps more subtle qualifications. Um, someone may be a very good leader. Somebody else 
as we say in English, cannot manage oneself out of a wet paper bag. You know, you have any expression like that in German? No. <laughs> there must be something. Anyway, uh, maybe you sort of get the idea. You can't even get yourself out of a simple uh, situation. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so the point being, different qualifications are there, and there will be some persons who are lesser qualified in certain things that we may be more qualified in. Can I extend the feeling of compassion, of mercy, of wanting to help uh, to that person, to those persons? And we find that we do have that feeling. It's natural. Uh, um one ancient Chinese philosopher, uh, to argue, in order to argue that um, people are essentially good, uh, Mung Tzu, he argued that anyone, doesn't matter who they are, if they would see that a small child is about to accidentally fall into a well, naturally one will run to save the child. You won't first stop and calculate uh, how this might benefit you to save the child. You'll just naturally go to help. So that feeling is, is there. Now, can I expand that? And the, what I find interesting in the Brahma Vihara system is you just take it little steps by little steps. You don't try to say, okay, now I'm going to be compassionate to everyone. No, that may not work. But the feeling that I already have, could I extend that one step further, one step further, one step further? Does that make any sense? Okay, so the same idea is there also with joyfulness. And here, as Nardamuni says, because our tendency may often be that if someone is successful in some material way, that we, instead of feeling happy for them, we, we think, ah, that person is just, you know, not, they, somehow they stumbled on that good fortune, but it's, it's not really because they're qualified. Or uh, whatever, we tend to perhaps minimize. The Narada Muni is saying, no, be happy. For the, And Prabhupada says also, you see someone who is very wealthy, uh, you know, they have a huge house and so many cars and so many uh, things, but uh, uh, you see that, uh, you should think, yes, they have earned it. Somehow they have earned it. Somehow they've been qualified by their pious activities in the past, and this is what they have. And who knows what goes on behind uh, the walls of their house. They may be actually miserable as anything. You never know. But you're happy, happy, very nice. Uh, and then indifference, uh, which is not mentioned here, but is implied, I would say, in samadukkha sukha, uh, 
the indifference is indifference toward uh, experiences that happen to oneself. Could I, could I extend this outward? Uh, could I deepen it? In this case, because we're talking about oneself, one's own experience, could I deep? Could I deepen this uh, sense of indifference? As Prabhupada was uh, saying in that purport, uh, what did he say? One doesn't um, attach much importance uh, to the pains and troubles pertaining to the body. Uh, again, some sort of exercise. It can, in other words, it can be a conscious effort. Now, finally... Uh, Possibly to help us reflect on how this could work in terms of bhakti, in terms of devotion, is to think about uh, um, a very interesting pastime of Krishna, uh, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with. It's when Sudama, the Brahmana, the Vipra, visits Lord Krishna. What's interesting here, there's a lot of interesting things, but what I find particularly relevant here uh, in, in relation to the higher, equal, and uh, lower qualifications is that all three of these relationships are present in the relationship between Krishna and Sudama. And how this works is as follows. Uh, Sudama and Krishna have been friends as children in the Gurukula. Uh, whose Gurukula were they friends in? Who knows? Sandipani. Sandipani Muni. Yes. So this was, of course, long ago. But they were friends. Uh, and friends means they were equals. Now, when Sudama first arrives at uh, the palace and arrives in the throne room of Krishna in Dvaraka, first of all, why is he coming? If you're not familiar, he's coming because his wife has urged him, please go to your friend, Krishna, because we are so poor, we don't even have... Uh, two sets of clothes between us, practically speaking, uh, to uh, to wear. We are uh, desperately poor. Maybe Krishna could help. And so uh, Sudama goes and he brings a little gift with him, just as a token gift. And the token gift is uh, some chipped rice, which is about as humble a gift as one could possibly imagine. It's not even... You know, it's not even good basmati rice. <laughs> it's chipped, uh, chipped rice. So he, he brings this little bit of chipped rice uh, in some rolled up cloth. Uh, he, he sort of wraps it in, in his cloth and he basically forgets about it. And he comes and he sees Krishna and Krishna is so happy to see him that uh, Krishna stands up and he welcomes him, he embraces him. And what does he do next? He washes his feet. Now, why is Krishna washing the feet of, of Sudama? 
He's a guest, but what else? He's a brahmana. He's a brahmana, which means as a kshatriya, uh, Krishna is taking the, the inferior position and offering this service, this respect uh, to Sudama. Well, but uh, that's not all that's going on. What else is going on? Uh, after all, who is Krishna? Supreme Personality of Godhead. And he's the Prince of Dwaraka, but aside from that, he's, we can say, uh, in terms of tattva, in terms of uh, ontology, <laughs> uh, he's the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Uh, and 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 Sudama is very aware of this, and so he is offering his respects uh, to Krishna. So there's three different relationships with two different <laughs> with two persons in the same one relationship. There are three relationships, but there's no conflict. There's no problem. Rather, it becomes simply uh, an opportunity for the deepest imaginable uh, exchange uh, between between them. And it's an exchange of bhakti. And it is out of this exchange of bhakti that uh, everything becomes uh, realized uh, for, uh, for Sudama. As you know, when Sudama returns home, what does he find? Instead of the little you know, mud hut that he was living in. He finds a palace and he finds all these um, parks and uh, incredible opulence. What is happening here is that what's being revealed to him, of course, is the opulence of the Lord. And he's realizing himself as being part of... uh, uh, part of the the spiritual he's in the spiritual world in which krishna uh is the source of all uh all opulence and this all has unfolded because uh this uh wonderful exchange has taken place and so uh, my point here is that by remembering krishna with sudama uh this can be a spark for doing what uh, Narada Muni is suggesting uh, in terms of relationships. And then more broadly, what Krishna is uh, advising in Bhagavad Gita in order to uh, receive his favor. Uh, namely, especially, Krishna emphasizes Maitra and Karuna, friend, friendliness and compassion, Sarvabhutanam, uh, for all beings. How to attain that? Uh, that is the practice of Krishna consciousness. Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavad Gita Ki Jai. Anyone have a further point, uh, comment to make on any of these points? Yes. Hmm.
percentage of how much, like how much time one would spend with them, or what? What? Not quite. Sure. Oh, percentage. You know, that's one thing that Krishna seems to studiously avoid throughout his uh, teachings is any sort of specific numbers, <laughs> any sort of percentages. Uh, and that's probably good that way. You know, Krishna, for example, in Bhagavad Gita, he says... Um, uh, in chapter 6, he, he's talking about how to practice yoga, meditational yoga. And he, he says, sit on an asan, which is neither too high nor too low. All right, so what's too high and what's too low? Probably what I'm sitting on right now is too high. But we don't really know if it's too high because Krishna never tells us what's too high. Um when Srila Prabhupada was in Paris uh, speaking, preaching at a public program at a university to students, the devotees arranged for him to get this huge, humongous yasasan on the stage. And, okay, Prabhupada, uh, devotees arranged, so Prabhupada sat on the yasasan. And, you know, this is France, and France, they're famous for <laughs> being sort of iconoclastic. So as Prabhupada was speaking, these unruly and rude students started chanting a mantra. What were they chanting? Anyone know? They said, Parter, 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 which means on the ground. On the floor, Prabhupada said, what are they chanting? And one of the French devotees told him. And Prabhupada just said, okay, I understand. He didn't say anything. It was like, okay, I know where we're at. All right, let's just chant Hare Krishna. And they just made kirtan, and that was it. Point is about me measurement. Uh, these are not things we can really, you know, put measures on. But what I suggest is, uh, with such things, you try to do a bit of experimenting with yourself. What do you find works best for you? Um, when, we're, when we're thinking in terms of, you know, these three categories, if you will, we generally put it in terms of, well, there's preaching to... Uh, those who are uh, less qualified in terms of practice of spiritual life. Um, and of course, we identify our movement as a preaching movement. So Prabhupada emphasized this a lot. So we may want to, you know, look at ourselves, should, should or could. I don't, the word should is, ugh, nobody likes should. But could I... Uh, do something more in this direction of uh, connecting with people who could uh, be uh, somehow uplifted by uh, what I might be able to give them. And then friendship. I, You know, we need friends. How can we live without friends? 
we need, you know, tadati pratigrinati, we need to be able to exchange with others who are um, more or less where we are and with whom we can confide and who can tell us things that nobody else will tell us, <laughs> you know. Uh, we need we need sometimes uh, somebody to say, ah, what are you talking about, you know, or whatever. And they can say that because they're friends. And, of course, we need the nourishment that we get from uh, from seniors. We need that nourishment. Sometimes devotees will say, oh, I'm hardly ever getting uh, association of, of, you know, advanced devotees. But uh, we need to be also a little cautious that we are not, how to say, putting, uh, putting the mark of what counts as an advanced devotee too high. <laughs> One time Srila Prabhupada said, advanced devotee, who is advanced devotee? Narda Muni, he is advanced. <laughs> hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, which means we should also appreciate the advancement of those who are around us. Uh and, and take advantage of that, of them. Um, and uh, we can make plans for uh, making arrangements, inviting more senior devotees, preaching, uh, going to other places where senior devotees come. But to put numbers, percentages, I would be very hesitant to do that. Said okay. <laughs> yeah. Acha. <laughs> Twenty, forty, sixty. Okay. Wait a minute. Twenty, twenty, sixty. Oh. Right. Yeah, I don't know. We, we There we are with some friends and we go, oh, sorry. Uh, time's up. Time's up for you because, you know, we have to, I have to spend 60% of my time. You know, twenty percent is enough. Sorry. Okay, I th I think here the point is uh, to emphasize. Sometimes, in a slightly rhetorical way, we might say, "Yes, you know, we should really uh, spend time with uh, advanced souls." So we should really put some thought into how we can do that. Because um, our tendency will be uh, to keep in our, as we say these days, comfort zone. And what is our comfort zone? It's where we are with friends and where we might, um, yeah, we might be helping others. That's our preaching. And we may say, you know, I'm fine. But it's the more advanced souls who are the sadhus. And what are the sadhus? 
As Prabhupada said, one definition is one who cuts. So they're the ones who are challenging us uh, to get out of our comfort zone and to really, um, yeah, challenge ourselves and everything about our uh, understanding of life so that we can push ourselves to come closer to Krishna, become more dependent on Krishna. So, yeah. I mean, I would agree, why not? But at the same time, I'm I'm not so much for percentages myself. <laughs> and there can be also different periods in our lives, you know. We, we may find a certain period in our life when we're spending much more time preaching, opportunity is there, uh, and another period of our lives when uh, that opportunity is, where the opportunities are different. So that's also okay. Yeah. Sind wir alle okay hier in der Ecke, der deutsche Ecke? Ja? Wie? Anarchie or Allergie? Allergie, oh, Allergie. Yeah, Allergie und Anarchie. Oh, no, Allergie, also, ich habe volle Sympathie, weil die Zeit kommt jetzt gerade für mich auch, diese Frühlingszeit. <laughs> Gut, ich denke, jetzt kommt uh, Guru Puja für Srila Prabhupada. Uh, alle sind herzlich eingeladen, teilzunehmen. Und dann, was kommt danach? Prashadam Jai. Okay, vielen Dank für Ihre und Eure Aufmerksamkeit. Many thanks for your attention. And Srila Prabhupada Ki, Shishi Gornitai Ki, Shishi Radha Madan Mohan Ki, Gaur Premanande.